He wants us to understand uh, the reckless love. It would be reckless to send your only begotten son to chase after some sheep, right? A dime a dozen. But the book of Mark helps us to understand that God loves us so much that he would send a son who would do anything and everything it took to redeem our past. Of course, the gospel of Mark culminates in the crucifixion scene. This very poignant expression of God's love that he would sacrifice his own son or let his son be killed for our sins. God, in his own wisdom, in his own time, chose to send a son. And Jesus said, I came to do the will of my father. The will of my father is this, that no one would be lost, but that I, that I would redeem them. And then Jesus went through the most difficult week on earth, what we call Passion Week. And during that week, he established this principle that God will go after us. Ooh, whatever's happening is happening. Oh, it's coming back on. All right. We're just going to keep rolling, okay? The devil's trying to mess me up. It ain't going to work. I got the word of God. You got nothing. So the word of God says this. The word of God says that Jesus Christ was intent on redeeming our past. In fact, it was our sins that put him in that position. And he said by his own words, the pouring out of his blood was the forgiveness of our sins. So Mark tries to convince us that Jesus has redeemed our past, our sins. He has paid the price for our forgiveness. Amen? Okay, so... If you're new with us, I need some feedback. Like, all right, so you go ahead and say, mm-hmm, that works. If you're not feeling vocal, just go, mm, but do it loud so I can hear you. Mm, all right? Um, or say, amen. Uh, you can get adventurous and say something else. Uh, just don't heckle me, you know, uh, that'd be okay. I just need to know you're alive because the word of God is alive and God is alive and Jesus is alive. The Bible tells us Jesus, Jesus Christ came to die for our sins. He says, my blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. But now that, thank you. Now that we've been forgiven, now what? Now what? Now what happens? If you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins, you say amen. But now what? What's next? What happens? And I'm convinced that uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Ephesians, Ephesians to help them figure out what to do after they believed they were redeemed. And so he begins and he tells us in the first few chapters that we have been given this great mystery that somehow the God of the universe would risk it all just to save us. That we matter to him. But then he begins chapter 4 with this simple phrase. He says, so then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Can you see it there in chapter 1? I mean chapter 4 verse 1. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, some people, when they read this, they get confused and they think that Paul is saying, Jesus Christ paid a heavy price for you and now you have to pay him back. Live a life worthy of the calling. Some people think somehow you got to earn your way. You have to somehow refund him for what he paid for you. And maybe you've been caught up in that trap and you think that you believe in Jesus. Now you have to somehow work your way to be worthy of him. But that's not what Paul is saying. That's not what Paul is after here. I want to explain it to you maybe in a, in a different way. I don't know if this has ever happened to you. I hope it never has. But imagine if someone were to invite you, let's say on a date. Uh, it doesn't have to be a romantic date. It could just be a friend date. Someone wanted to take you out, 
right? Let's say that someone invited you to say um, to the movies and to the uh, or to a restaurant, and they wanted to do something nice for you, and you felt, oh, that's that's really nice. But after you went to the event, they submitted to you a reimbursement form. <laughs> Um, I hope that's never happened to you. <laughs> uh, but wouldn't that be weird? Like if somebody did something nice for you and they're like, oh, did you like it? Yes. Okay, now here's the bill. Pay me back. Uh, that would be so weird. It would be strange that somebody want to get reimbursed for a gift that they gave you. Or if someone comes to your party that brings you a gift and attaches the receipt, not so you can return it, but that you can pay them back. Wouldn't that just be weird? It would be weird because it would nullify the gift. So the Bible tells us, and, and Paul is adamant about this. He says, look, what we deserve is death. We were dead in our transgressions. What is a transgression? An aggression that's done cross the line. You went too far this time, Paul says, and you deserve death. But instead of getting death, because God is rich in mercy, you get life, Paul says. You get life. You deserve death. You got life. It is the gift of God. Not that you and I should boast that we can earn it or deserve it. I don't deserve it, and I couldn't earn it. It's the reckless love of God that comes from me. But now that you have been given this gift, what now, Paul says? He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. See, Paul says, you are free now. You are delivered. You have been redeemed. Live like it. Live like it. Live like it because it makes it true. It makes it a reality. Enjoy the gift that he has given you because it is that gift that when it comes to life, re reflects upon your life his love. So Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling. Not, it's not a reimbursement form. You could never pay him back. He just wants you to live as if you have been redeemed. And Paul says, in order to do this, in order to do this, God has given each one of us a peace. Verse 7. This is where we are today. Chapter 4, verse 7. I, live, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. But to each one of us, verse 7, chapter 4, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That word is not one that we use normally, a word that you might be more familiar with. It is proportion, which is creating a portion in relationship to something else. But what that means, the essence of the word is that something has been divided into, into pieces. And in this particular uh, version of that word, those pieces have been carefully given out. Carefully given out. So the Bible is trying to tell us that Jesus Christ, the creator of everything, has sat at a great big table where he has called us together and he said to every one of you, I give a portion, a special piece. You'll find this language all throughout the New Testament in both the parables and in Jesus' own words. You'll find this language all throughout the epistles of Paul where he tries to explain to us that God is giving away his kingdom. He's giving away his inheritance and he's given to each one of us a peace. In this chapter, in these verses, he says grace has been given the way that Jesus Christ decided to give it up. The reason that's important, he says, is because Jesus knows what he's doing. Amen. Jesus knows what he's doing. To each one of us, a special piece has been given. Now, I know you're sitting here, you're thinking, I don't know what my piece is. That may be true, but it doesn't mean he's not giving it to you. Just because you are unaware or you're unconvinced doesn't mean that God didn't already decide what to give you and what it means for you to have it. In fact, Paul is trying to say to us that we come alive. In the next chapter, we come alive in Christ by taking what he separated and put aside just for us 
and bringing it together to make one big whole. Listen, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ decided to give it. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I proposed to you last week that we needed to grow up. And some of you guys took me seriously on that one and you turned to the person next to you and you're like, you need to grow up. You remember that? I know, because you're still laughing about it. And then I said, no, no, no. This time you, you should turn to each other and say, we need to grow up together because Paul is saying we each have a piece of a whole. And then I encourage you to turn to each other and say, we need to grow up together. But I saw some of you guys just go again, no, you need to grow up. <laughs> you know what's fascinating? It's easy to tell someone else's immaturity. Very difficult to decipher your own, right? The problem with perception is that we will always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt, but rarely for others. Nobody said amen to that, but you know it's true. See, whenever we're faced with situations and circumstances, we say to ourselves, oh, that's not me. That's just the circumstances. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. There's a reason why I did this. But when we look at someone else... We think it's a personal defect. It's because she's just wrong. It's because he's mean. It's because he's rude. It's because he doesn't care. It's because he is a bad person. She is, she is an immoral person. When it's our mistakes, we say, well, I was trying so hard, but you don't understand. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt because we think we're mature, but we ascribe someone else's as immaturity. Paul says, you know what? We're all immature. And the only way we're going to grow up together, listen, 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 is if we are held together. You understand? Look at this. Paul says, look, if, if, if you take your peace, I take my peace, and we come together and we are united. He says, make every effort to keep the unity through the bond of peace. If we're completely humble and, and gentle and we stick together, he says, if we do that, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth. This is verse 14. By the waves and blown here, there, by every word of teaching, by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of men. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. From him, the whole body joined together and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself in love as each part does its work. I know it's a lot to take in, but what Paul is saying, he's saying you have a piece and unless all our pieces are held together, we cannot grow up. You have a piece, I have a piece, and unless our pieces are held together, we cannot grow up. See, we have, some of us, fell under this spell, this idea that Christian maturity is an individual pursuit. Like, 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 a, like an individual sport. Like, 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 like Christian maturity, some think it's a, you know, it's a 50-yard dash. I'm going to get there really fast. Others think it's a marathon. But we're all sort of loathing to believing that it's an individual sport. You suffer and you strive on your own. And the truth is, we, the church, and your leadership have done you a disservice because we fed into that idea by sometimes giving off this image that we are further along than you are. That the clergy and the pastors and the, you know, the, the studied people are somehow a few steps 
higher than the rest of you guys. And so when you need some spiritual maturity, you should come to us so that I might pray for you. Well, that I might shed some, is it weird from up here or what? <laughs> Suddenly I feel really exposed. <laughs> I think I should. You're right. I'm getting dizzy up there. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Much better. But we've given off this vibe that somehow, somehow we are further along. The truth is obviously in life and experience and the wisdom of life. Yes, yes, some of us have learned more and experienced more. But when it comes to maturity, look what Paul is saying. He's saying from him, the head, Jesus Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every ligament grows and builds itself as each part does its work. This is important. You can't miss it. If you're new with us, if you're a child, if you're a grandparent, you have to understand this. The body cannot function unless all the pieces are held together. So I want to propose to you today that while some people fixate on, on those first few gifts that Paul mentions there, pastors, apostles, teachers, evangelists, and those are important. We'll talk about them in a minute. But while those are important, and later he talks about others. If you read 1 Corinthians, if you read Galatians, he, there's other gifts that Christ apportions. But, but often people fixate on the important ones. But what I want to propose to you is it doesn't matter how many of those exist. If we're not held together, the body doesn't work. So I, wanna, I want you to remember something when you live today. I want you to come to believe that you are a ligament. So turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a ligament. Go ahead, say it. Now, I know, I know, you know, ligaments are not the most glorious part of the body. And somebody, most people don't want to be ligaments. I, you know how I know? Because I just told you and you looked at me like, I'm not saying that. Because a lot of us want to be muscles, right? We want to be muscles. We want to be like, we want to show off. We want to like flex. We want to look, check me out. Others of us are like bones, unmovable. <laughs> Is that a good bone? Yeah. Some of us are like bones. Other of us are like skin. We're like, oh, we're all over the place. Feely, touchy. Oh. <laughs> I just had to do that. Okay, but what the Bible says, and I believe this is really important for all of us to capture, is yes, you have a function. Yes, you have a gift. Christ gave you a peace. But we all must be held together. And you know what holds the body together? Ligaments. Yeah, the skin is the outside, but, but the ligaments, the ligaments. Do you know how many ligaments are the human hand? Anybody? 123 named ligaments in the human hand. 123. Uh, they help thumbs do uh, this, the opposable thumb thing, where um, Sir Isaac Newton th said, without, in the absence of proof, the existence of a thumb is proof enough that God exists. He believed, like, that's like the cool thing. Go ahead, do it. You'll be like, whoa, I can do that. Um, humanity, with all its, uh, its technology, can't create opposing thumbs. God uses ligaments to help bones and muscles and skin function, function. Have you ever ruptured a ligament, torn a ligament or a tendon for that matter? If you, if you have, you know that when the ligaments don't work, it looks bad, right? 
Uh, he's not here, so I can talk about him. My brother and I were playing racquetball uh, a couple Christmases ago. And uh, see, so you have to understand, <clears throat> we're very competitive by nature. But we're older now, but still, it hasn't gone away. And um, we were playing racquetball. And we grew up playing racquetball here in South, uh, Southwestern in these uh, racquetball courts. And, you know, we would compete every Sunday morning. It was like a thing. My brother and I would, would compete. Um, well, we stopped playing a long time ago. But a few Christmases ago, we had some family relatives that came to visit. And amongst these relatives, uh, um, um, they were, uh, were related by marriage. Uh, these young ladies were in the States to compete in a racquetball tournament. Now, the girls were like 14 and 16, just to give you some idea. And they were here for a national tournament. They're representing Bolivia. And we're like, wow, Bolivian athletes. That's like an oxymoron. But let's go check them out. So we went to watch them in action. And they were playing here in South Bay at these racquetball courts. And they were playing. We're like, they're looking good. And then they turned and said, you guys want to play? And we're like, oh, no, you know. Um, but my brother's like, I'll play. And he got in there. He got in there with the 16-year-old young lady. And if you don't know anything about racquetball, it's like tennis with a wall. You just kind of hit the ball back and forth, right? And uh, so at first, you know, everybody was just like having a good time. We were watching from above. But then the competitive juices started flowing. But you understand, my brother, is, he's even older than I am. And if you think I'm old, um, he was playing. So we're watching from, from, uh, from the viewing area. And he's like flying all over the place. And if you know anything about racquetball, um, it, it's fixed in this, the distances you have to cover. But the ball moves really fast and you have to have good reflexes. So my brother started doing something he used to do years ago. And that's dive for balls. Uh, he would like go flying. And one of those... He went flying this direction, but the bottom half of his body was going that direction. And all of a sudden, all of a sudden, there's this, this yelp in the, and we're like, what's happening? And uh, his, his Achilles tendon ruptured. And if you've ever seen that, it just does not look right. Your foot that's supposed to do this, it's doing something else. And I touched it and I was like, ew, ew. See, God designs ligaments in such a way that they make you the beautiful you that you are. Keeps things in place with the ability to do amazing and impossible things. And when ligaments are broken, it doesn't matter how strong you are or how strong your bones are. The body just doesn't function. Do you understand what I'm saying? So I want you to be convinced of this truth that God has given you each a piece, but the only way that piece comes to fruition in the maturing of the body of Christ is if we are held together. And by held together, we don't just mean sitting here in the same room at the same time. No, this means nothing in the body of Christ. The way we are held together is through the bonds of love, forgiveness, and acceptance we have for each other. Will you still love the person that you're sitting next to even when you disagree? Will you love and be there and encourage and bless the person that you're sitting across from even when they hurt you? Will you be willing to pray over and sacrifice for the person that is here in this room, even when they have done something that has, that has really broken your heart? Will you be a suffering servant like Jesus was? That's what holds us together. Our willingness to embrace each other through the thick and the thin. You see the difference? 
See, Jesus is telling us by his example, and now Paul is making it clear. He says, you were redeemed once upon a time in your transgressions. You were dead, and out there, you didn't care about anybody, you about yourself. You were all out for you. But now, now that you understand this amazing mystery, that it isn't because of you, but because of him and his great mercy, you have been called together. And the calling that you have received is to be one body, one Father, one Spirit, one Lord, one baptism, one Christ. And from him, everyone else is connected together. That means we belong together. Okay, I want you to do that one. I like that one. Turn the person next to you, whether you know them or not, and just say, we belong together. Now, don't bat your eyes because we don't mean it like that. We belong together. Listen, friends, the beauty that we have to offer, listen, listen, listen. The beauty that we have to offer to the world right now is this idea. Listen, listen. Everywhere else outside of the, of the body of Christ, people do not want to do this. In our nation right now, we are completely divided on any number of issues. It's us versus them. But Paul says, even when there is differences here, we must be held together. Even when there is different points of view, when you see red and I see black, we must be held together. We must fight against all other ideas and beliefs to be held together by our common bond that we serve Jesus Christ and him only. Amen. That he is the only rule for us. That we follow his example and his only. That everything else, everything else, we can figure this out because I'm not letting go of you. And you're not letting go of me. That is the mystery. That is what now. That's what Paul says. If we do this, and if we get this one thing right, if we get this one thing right, then we will be speaking a testimony to the world that they are not hearing anywhere else. And others will be drawn to the same Jesus because Paul says we must grow up and we must mature and we must increase. The Bible tells us, and Paul is trying to communicate to us, that we must grow, not just in maturity, but in number. I mentioned this during first service. The idea that our church would grow in number is an imperative. Paul says we must grow. Why? Because every new person is another sheep Jesus is trying to find. But if we aren't unconcerned for them, who will be? If we don't help God find those sheep, who will? It's not just about us, but everyone that God would draw unto him through us. So Paul says we can't do it unless we are held together. Listen, evangelists are good at preaching the gospel of Jesus to people who don't know about Jesus. But the evangelists can do all they want. If there isn't a body where these people come into, it's for naught. Prophets can prophesy all they want, but if there isn't a body where people can live out those prophetic dreams, it matters not. Teachers can teach all they want, but unless there's some of us living it out in real life, unless there's a group of us willing to fight for those truths, it matters not. So Paul says, you have been given a new calling. You're not on your own anymore, but we are now held together, held together. And when we are held together, we will grow. Paul says it. We will become mature. Not just I, myself, you, yourself, but we together. Your gifts multiply mine and mine unlock yours if we're held together that's my dream that's my hope 
That's the thing that I'm excited about our church community and why we hug it out. Because I want us to believe and be completely convinced of this, that we will not let go, even though it gets hard. Oh, we'll just not let you go. We're going to get through this. We're going to be held together. Would you please stand as we sing our closing song?